Podcast, yeah? Listen up, Savro. When you're shot from the spit tube, you'll be going ten times the speed of sound. It'll feel like the backhand of the Obsidian's Thunder God, and you'll likely black out from spoilers. You pixie, it's not meant to be fun. You can do this. We'll see you on the Vanguard. Broadcast out. Everyone, my name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, man. Thanks. You are? Yeah, I am uh, right in the middle of a brisket uh, cook. So I'm smoking a brisket, and it's going to be like an eight-hour cook for me. So I want to ask you one time, and I want you to be like, "I'm doing terrible, man. I'm just doing, I'm having a really bad day. I don't know if I could record this podcast. I I think I just need to take a break." And I'll be like, "Uh." So, uh, Red Rising, guys, uh, Red Rising. <laughs> and then you just like, <laughs> you just walk off Zoom and I'm just like talking by myself. That's what, that's my dream one day to have that happen. That is a sad dream to have. <laughs> <laughs> I have an update for you. What's up? I still have not watched Mandalorian season two. Dude. <laughs> it's an epic fail. You have fail. to get on this. That is uh, an epic the, fail. You, you uh, got to get on it. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I know. I, and so I know like the last couple of weeks I didn't watch it. I still haven't watched it. I just wanted to give you an update because I don't talk to you about it otherwise because all we do when we're talking in real life is like talk about, you know, families and Red Rising. That's about it. But I haven't told you that I haven't watched it yet. So yeah, there's there's a like, it's like Cameo Central and there's a lot of oh, great it? fan payoff in, in oh. season two. So season one had a, great, a lot of good fan payoff. This is even better. Wow. Okay. I will get, get on there. It, seriously. Okay. <laughs> I'll get there. So by by next episode, I will have watched at least uh, the first one or two. Okay. Sounds good. So, okay, cool. Let's go ahead and jump all the way into our episode and see you guys in a second. I want to jump all the way into this with you, man. I, I don't want to talk about Tactus as a standalone character. I want to talk about him in context. And to do that, we're going to jump into chapter 29, which is Old Man's Wrath, which is his final scene in the story. It's a very important scene for me personally. I know it's an important scene for you personally. Yes. We are team Tactus um, all the way. This is a character that we both love and like. Um, so it's going to be fun to talk about, actually kind of hard to talk about at some points. But um, I think either way, we're excited 
I want to talk about just my general feelings for this chapter real quick. And then I want to ask you the same question, kind of your general thoughts, I guess. For sure. Well, for me, like when I look at chapter 29, Old Man's Wrath, I kind of feel this, there's a sense of like, I kind of figure out everything that Tactus is in a way. Um, I, I get notes of who he was before he met Darrow, kind of like in his relationship with his brothers and his mother. I get kind of notes of who he became when he uh, aligned himself with Darrow. I get notes of who he was after Darrow misused him because we both believe that happened as well. And then I kind of get this feeling of he really progresses and he has a very amazing arc. Even though it's brief and short, it's highly emotional. It, it's it's my one of my favorites. And I'm just excited to talk about all those like things with you. But for you, like kind of what's the general kind of feeling that you get when you read this chapter, Old Man's Wrath? Yeah, it's kind of on both sides. I mean, there's certainly this bitter element to it. Like you said, you know, we're, we're Team Tactus and I identify with him. I mean, not in the particulars of the horrible things he's done, but just in his nature of continuing to fall into the same trap. And so he's a very much an identifiable character to me. And for him to meet the end that he does um, right after this, this reconciliation with, with Darrow is just really sad to me. Um, but on the other side of it, it's a great moment. I mean, not only does Pierce draw along the storyline very well through this action scene that kind of has this lull right here, but, you know, we talked about it in season one, uh, also with Tactus, where Darrow serves in this very much a, like a messianic figure. Mm -hmm. It kind of returns to that. I mean, aside from his understanding that he's kind of wrong Tactus in his approach to the relationship, he takes him back. He gives him chance after chance and, and just understands that despite his nature, um, that he can be great, he can do good things. And I, I, I think that's a huge, beautiful part of this chapter as well for me. I agree. And I wanna say this, this is my favorite version of Darrow, is the compassionate Darrow. We have this uh, character that is vicious and he's violent and he's extreme and he's cunning and he's intelligent, but I think his best quality, Darrow's best quality is his compassion and how he can offer that to people. And I think that is really highlighted by Tactus as a character in two huge moments. And we've talked about this in a past podcast about my favorite moment of all of Red Rising is when he offers that compassion and then he kind of becomes that messianic figure for Tactus and Tactus kind of takes that and embraces it. For Darrow to be a great compassionate character, he has to have a reciprocator. And Tactus is the reciprocator and that's why I love him so much. That's why I care about the character even is because he's so human and he's so identifiable in like a real life translation. We can make bad choices and we can kind of hide behind them or mask them, but it takes a real legit dude to recognize I really messed up and I wanna come back. And for Daryl to offer that, it's an amazing moment. I just love this. I love Tactus so much. I really do. I really care about the character a lot. You know, Pierce obviously draws on mainly Roman elements to his storytelling, but also Greek ones. and. I mean, the famous Greek tragedy, right? I think that there really is this element to a tragedy to this story. You do have this kind of salvation of a very terrible character that mm -hmm. does horrible things. In book one, you know, Darrow wins him over by taking the punishment upon himself and, and kind of winning him over. And, you know, even, even in this chapter here, Old Man's Wrath that we're talking about, uh, you know, Tactus says, I was testing you you know, to yeah. see if you're worth following. And he found out that he was, and he kind of falls away because of, you know, Darrow's mistreatment of him. But the fact he comes back, 
And then the fact that he's just slain right then and there mm. and just so abruptly that, I, I mean, in my mind, I, I kept thinking like, oh, this is cool. You know, I, I, I like this character. I want to see where this goes. And, mm-hmm. and it didn't take long to see where it went, unfortunately. So yeah. it's tragic, I guess. It's it's abrupt end. It's an abrupt end. I wouldn't say this chapter is fun, but it's foundational to the whole kind of greater story. And we'll talk about that later. I have a note I want to talk about with Tactus too, uh, that's kind of different from the conversation we're having now. I thought about this a lot. Why do I like Tactus so much? And I was even thinking, does he? where does he rank? And this is a big deal for you and I. We go back and forth through your top five favorite rising characters. It's a conversation that we kind of always have going, you know, in the background of of planning these episodes. And they can kind of change and I actually realized that Tactus is a top five favorite character for me. Really? Yeah. And I was really kind of stunned by that uh, almost in a sense because of how evil he is in a sense. He has these failings that are so huge. They're monumental. They're unforgivable in some senses. And yet he's offered forgiveness. But it's it's how he's, it's not just that he's offered forgiveness. It's that he, how he responds to it and how he takes advantage of it and how he never really leaves Darrow and even though he tries. And I just really, I just really appreciate how, again, how human he is, how real he is. And all my favorite characters kind of pull out this emotional ripcord for me. Alexander, Ragnar, Victra, and Tactus here. We, these are like my four big characters outside of Darrow. And the reason why is because Darrow kind of offers them all compassion and they take advantage of it. He actually offers compassion sometimes to other characters, they don't take advantage of it, but all four of these people do. And it pulls just this emotionality out of me that I didn't really know that I had necessarily at times. But the whole identification of Daryl being a messianic figure, it just really plays a trigger on me. And and it vaults Tactus to something I didn't even think about or consider him being a top five favorite character. To now I'm like, it's going through this golden sun prep with you. I can't escape that. He just is a top five favorite character for me. I don't know what your feelings are on that or kind of if he (laughs) vaulted for you too, but I just wanted to kind of throw it out there. Yeah, I think for me, he did vault. I mean, between both of these discussions now, obviously this one being in prep, um, I, you know, and, and just kind of thinking very deeply about him and his character and how Pierce wrote him, I do have a deep respect for the character. That's why this is such a somber moment. He was rejected by pretty much everybody. He comes in this scene with this understanding that the sovereign is, has burned him now. And in very much the same exact way as Darrow has, She's just, and we said this in in a prior chapter where she just adds people, she collects them, Mm -hmm. you know, and Darrow essentially did that with Tactus, didn't keep him on the inside, didn't communicate properly or, and kind of looked like he was keeping secrets from him, you know, kind of talking around him and stuff. And and he even says like, oh, wow, this is the exact same thing I'm doing to Roke. And this is why that relationship is fracturing. Now he actually recognizes that Octavia is doing the same thing and- you know, his brothers, he, he hates his brothers. His brothers dislike him. His yeah. mom, he doesn't even want to have that conversation. And then now these other two close people, Octavia and, and Darrow are basically treating him the exact same. There's these words that Tactus tells Darrow and he's like, she calls me the mighty servant in reference to his mom, how that's so frowned upon and how in this society, it's not cool to be like just under someone. I take my favorite sidekick, Batman and Robin. I love Robin. I've been him for Halloween numerous times as a child. I look at Robin, he's not, or she, depending on what depiction you're reading, is not all the way on the inside, not all the way in the thoughts in the head of Batman, 
But Robin is still looked at with like high regard within that world, within the world of Gotham City. Absolutely. But in this world, being a servant or being an aide or being underneath someone or a lieutenant or whatever, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute for these people. And that's, but that's what Tactus wants. He wants to be underneath Daryl, but he's not allowed to be underneath Daryl because it's like you said a minute ago, his brothers, his mother, the gold machine at large, and it's just all telling him, you got to go and be your own reaper, right? Yes. And he's not allowed to just be what he wants to be. And that's why this is such a broken world. And it, it frustrates me for this character who just, all he wants is to, to be his own man. And for him to be his own man is to be with Daryl, to be home is what he called it. <laughs> it's an intimate moment, right? To read about someone's feelings and have them be so available to you, it can't help but maybe choke you up a little bit with me being in business, it may not be widely practiced in my opinion, but one of the favorite things to talk about is servant leadership. That idea is is really what Darrow, to your point, is gravitating toward. But you're right, in this society, it's that's horrible. That's that, that's just the wrong way to do it. You would never you would never serve somebody. And you're always trying to basically play this this power position game, right? Where you have to make other people subservient to you. And I mean, that's what the slavery and, and the, the caste system and everything like that is all about, really. Let's see, um, does nickname, nah, that's too easy. Hold on, uh, oh, you know, when Cassius and Darrow meet after Severo, um, too obscure. Oh, here's a good one. What did Orion do before she was assigned to the Bridge of the Pax? Yeah, indeed. Oh, sorry. Broadcast here? I uh, didn't realize anyone was on this channel. I was just trying to think of a tricky question for the next trivia night. Oh, we do trivia nights on Discord. It's actually a lot of fun. If you want to join us, it's easy. You just go to patreon.com slash hellreaper. Sign up for the $5 tier, and then you get an invite to the Discord community, and uh, you can be a part of the next trivia night if you want. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we divvy people up into teams, and then each team gets their chance to answer the questions that are posed by not only the hosts, but people from the community as well. And uh, just think about checking it out. What else was I doing? Oh, I'm supposed to read an ad again. Let's see, now who was it for? Oh, it was for that copper bloke. That's right, hold on. Let me find some music. What am I going to put on this week? Got it. This is a good one. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Tariqian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tariqian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tarigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit tarigianlaw.com on the Holonet. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. There's a whole other side of this chapter that revolves around Lorne, not just Tactus. And for me... The thing that I want to talk about with Lauren right off the bat is 
it's kind of the Lauren and Darrow complex. And I'm going to let you talk about the, the Lauren and Tactus side of it in a minute. But when I like look at Lauren in this chapter, I kind of look at Daryl first. And he's the one who invites Lauren into this war that's happening between, you know, the Bologna and the Augustus. And he's trying to rally the ally that is the Arcos family into the Augustus uh, army. But by doing that, when he offers that kind of invitation and the way he does it, it kind of messes things up in a sense because Lauren is a variable that Daryl can't control. We see him come into the scene with this whole plan. You know, he's got like the spikes on the ground. They're going to blow up things. He's not going to, he's got to let Aja escape on purpose. He's got Hallers hidden. And Darrow is that character. He's a character that has a lot of control over his atmosphere, over his, his world. And Lauren for the first time, or one of the first times I should say, is this variable that he can't control because he kills Tactus. So no matter how much compassion Darrow shows, no matter how vicious he can be, no matter how intelligent he can be, violent, loving, whatever whatever the attributes that we want to throw on Darrow, they are. It doesn't matter anymore because Lorne is just bigger than that in a sense. And he can't control all the variables. Like this war in this world of Golden Sun is outpacing Darrow to a point. And I think Lorne is kind of what uh, is kind of showing that. Yeah, I agree. House Arcos is not in, in any way really a, a reformer's family. I mean, at best, you might even consider him a moderate. But really... <laughs> he's he's really just part of that gold machine and he's not mm -hmm. a willing participant in this. I mean, Darrow is really suckering him into this thing and he's <laughs> resentful for it. And so it really does add volatility to the team like you're talking about. I think, you know, in, in talking about that resentment, part of this chapter really stuck out to me. And that's when he does kill Tactus. I think he stabs him in the armpit like four times and, and twists mm -hmm. the knife on the last one to sever the artery and, and just leaves him bleeding. But one thing I noticed on the last read through that I didn't notice on certainly my, my first couple of times through the book was that he really snubs Darrow in a sense when he walks out because it says he walks out without saying a word. Tactus is already dead on the floor. So it's, it's nothing to do with Tactus. I mean, in any normal situation, you would justify yourself or, yeah. or, or just say something about how he can't hold my grandchildren hostage like that, you know, something of that, of that mm -hmm. element. And, and he says nothing. And I think right before he stabs him, he says, and now it's time for consequences. That's not the direct quote, but, it, but he basically says that I see it now is consequences on three different tiers. Certainly it's consequences for Tactus, which I think is the obvious one that just stares everyone in the face. And the one that I saw in the first times through, mm -hmm. but certainly consequences for Darrow for trapping him for forcing yeah. his hand when he's a tired old man that in essence wants to retire and is now being forced into a war. He murdered Darrow's friend as a retribution for that. It's kind of like, okay, now we're on an even keel. Yeah. And, and I think on the on a third level that I noticed is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in his head. Nothing really says this blatantly, but I think to a degree he was disgusted at the display between Darrow and Tactus and the the emotions that were just raw and open. I mean, that is not something that any peerless should be caught dead doing. And these two are just kind of loving on each other. And, and I think he was just done with it and over it. The idea of forgiveness and gold culture doesn't exist because snakes beget snakes beget snakes, according to his own words, Lauren's own words. Right. And we see this in a future moment where he he's judging 
Victra for that same thing. You know, it's like, you know, like, no, get her out of here. Like Agrippina's daughter, like you can't have her around because Agrippina's a snake. So therefore Victra's a snake. There is no concept of forgiveness in the gold culture. So for you to say that, I actually agree with that. I think that he does see that as like kind of disgusting to him. He's like, these two dudes just standing in front of me, this guy almost killed my grandkids. And now my ally is forgiving him. And right. it's like, and it's, and it's emotional and it's vulnerable and it's, there's compassion being offered. Like Lauren doesn't, he's not, uh, he's not about that. That's not his life. That's not what he knows golds to be. Golds are made of iron and blah, 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 blah. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's just not that to him. And so I see that being uh, something he would have no tolerance for, for sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, Lauren is viewed widely as kind of this stereotypical peerless. So I think to assume he's anything but that would be fooling yourself. There's one more thing I want to talk about with Lauren before we talk about like the third level of this chapter is that this idea that he's trying to express to both Aja and Daryl, the other kind of talking characters that aren't Tactus in this chapter is like, hey, hey guys, I'm a man of peace now. Like, you know, I'm over here on my island. I just want to chill. Mm. Um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be in a war. I'm, I'm a peaceful man. And he's saying this numerous times, trying to express it. But the first chance he gets to enact violence, which is the, the exact opposite of peace, he takes it. And no matter the threat, no matter like how pissed he was, if you're really a man of peace, you want an act revenge at the first chance you can have. And he does that and he kills, he kills Tactus. And it's like, it's straight up, not just killing, it's straight up murder. Like there was no duel, there was no there was no prerequisite for what's about to happen. He just does it. And he does it in Daryl's face. He does it blatantly, like you said. I just like I have a really hard time like with with Lauren for that. I mean, a lot of the characters show duplicity. A lot of characters have faults. A lot of characters make mistakes. But to claim you're something multiple times and then do the exact opposite of it. That to me is just like kind of like the biggest disrespect to yourself, but also to the people around you in a sense. And so like, that's why I, when people say like they're really into Lauren, I'm all, I'm okay with that. I have no judgment, but for me personally, like I hold Lauren pretty lowly because of that. Yeah. I think he is disingenuous in that. I mean, Aja points this out actually as well. And she notices it because he takes this posture of, you know, he draws his sword, he, he, takes this posture of defensiveness and she kind of, again, paraphrasing says like, Hey, if you're this man of peace, if you're neutral and as a party in this, why on earth are you like bowing up essentially on me? Yeah. Why do you have your sword out, man? Right. Like, why do you have a razor going? So I totally get that. I want to kind of pivot one more time and talk about kind of what Tactus represents to the greater kind of chapter here and kind of the greater story and a new wrinkle into Golden Sun. We have the death of Quinn uh, that was prior to this, you know, like several chapters back. And that was a hard moment, you know, like, and there was some Quinn fans, you and I like Quinn too. I think a lot of people do, but we just didn't know her that well. And the tragedy of losing her is that it's not really Darrow kind of internalizing that really harshly. It's really Severo and Roke internalizing that. But now we have our POV character probably meeting the first real tragic death we have in the story. And I'm including Red Rising in that too. Because Pax, you know, he was kind of, almost glossed over in a sense because it was such a big action scene that they had to go chase the jackal right away. Pierce is really taking his time here on, on the death of Tactus. And he's kind of almost building it up to, and he's making it really somber. He's really getting inside the head of Darrow 
and kind of how would Daryl feel? Like what, what are all the feelings, what are all the emotions here that are on display? Pierce Brown gives you the sense of loss. And I think that Tactus is a forebearer of loss to come in the story. He put this chapter, chapter 29, perfectly placed to go, hey guys, like I'm just letting you know now, you're in for a rocky road from this point forward. Like you're gonna experience more death and it's gonna be more crazy, more tragic. And I think that Tactus is kind of a representation of that loss that kind of permeates the story, at least the back half of the story. Yeah, I think on this theme of loss, it's it's one that this book shares in character with Dark Age. I mean, Dark Age is one where its readers are often given condolences when they finish. You know, very much in the same way, they both suffer from that middle kid syndrome. You have these two rises and there has to be that regression we talked about before in order to get there. Comparing my feelings about books one and two and why deaths like Pax and others in book one didn't impact me as much. I started thinking about it pretty deeply and I know you and I kind of talked through this a little bit, but you notice that inside of these action scenes, inside of this storm, there's the eye of the tornado, which is very calm. And in book one, I don't think Pierce really calms the scene down in order to have that somber moment, as you put it, uh, in, in times of death. And he really is able to capture that very well. I mean, look at Tactus. It's an extremely exciting book as a whole, let alone a scene. And suddenly it slows completely down. And it's just this isolated dialogue that's so rich and beautiful. And I think his ability to do that throughout the second book just draws more emotions out of you during that time of loss. There's this allegory that's shared by Roke when Daryl asks him if he ever feels lost. And I think he does it more of a eulogy over Quinn as she's dying. We're gonna do the same thing. Again, we're Team Tactus. Despite all his failings, despite all his sins, this is his moment, this is his turning point. He just didn't get a chance to live that out. You and I have a great affection for this character because he feels so real, so human, and this is our eulogy to Tactus. Once, in the days of old Earth, there were two pigeons who were greatly in love. In those days, they raised such animals to carry messages across great distances. These two were born in the same cage, raised by the same man and sold on the same day to different men on the eve of a great war. The pigeons suffered apart from each other, each incomplete without their lover. Far and wide their masters took them, and the pigeons feared they would never again find each other, for they began to see how vast the world was how terrible the things in it. For months and months, they carried messages for their masters, flying over battle lines, through the air over men who killed one another for land 
When the war ended, the pigeons were set free by their masters. But neither knew where to go. Neither knew what to do. So each flew home. And there, they found each other again, as they were always destined to return home and find, instead of the past, their future. Reaper is a production of Catacomb Body. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey, with editing and sound design by Mathar DeLeon. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, and follow at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper. Telecom Pilot.